Grace and peace, friends. It is my privilege to be before you. Um, my name is Reverend Raquel Gill. I bring you greetings from Clinton, South Carolina, from the campus of Presbyterian College, to the Shallow Church family, to my good friend, Brittany, um, to her amazing family who's doing the amazing work of ministry in Connecticut, to her father, um, Bishop Watts. Thank you so much for having me. And I do pray that this message um, is a blessing to your congregation as you make your way to the promise of the resurrection. I'm gonna read Psalm 42. And I'll start at verse one and read down to verse five. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng or the processional, and I led the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. I want to talk from this thought a psalm for the spiritually exhausted, a psalm for the spiritually exhausted. Pray with me. God, we just thank you for this time. Many of us uh, may have had to navigate many challenges this week. Many of us may have had many joys this week. And regardless of what we had to face this week, we thank you that we're here this morning. And so we pray that you might speak, knowing that your servants, your children, your people are listening. We pray that you know that whatever you decide to do in this moment, it's all right with us. Bless this faith community. Continue to equip them with your power and your spirit so that they might do the work that you've called them to. These and all of the blessings we ask in your son's name. Amen. A psalm for the spiritually exhausted. Beloved, the psalm that I just read into your hearing was written by one of the Korahites. And I didn't just say that to be deep or to sound smart, but this is significant because the Korahites were responsible for carrying the sanctuary parts and pieces from one place to another. They were responsible for putting together and taking apart the temple as the Ark of the Covenant traveled from one place to another. These are the people who spend all of their time creating an atmosphere of worship for the people of Israel while they are in exile. And here in this 42nd Psalm, the leaders of the procession find themselves tired. They find themselves feeling a bit of a disconnect for God, from God and craving for God. They find themselves spiritually parched and depleted and longing to feel the presence of the living God again. And this disconnect 
was not because of some perceived sin or egregious act on their part. But the disconnect, possibly or most likely, was because those who created spaces to experience the presence of God for their community had little to no time to create and craft those moments of spiritual connect for themselves. Those who sustain the temple, those who make it all happen and put it all together, find themselves exhausted and drained and overwhelmed by the realities of life. And my mother sends me devotional sometimes in the mornings, right? She wakes me up really early sometimes with her texts. But one of the de devotionals the other week came from the writer Oswald Chambers, who once said that spiritual exhaustion is often not the result of sin, but the result of service. And if we be honest with ourselves this morning, Sometimes we're not exhausted because we're doing the wrong stuff, but we're exhausted from doing what's supposed to be the right stuff. Sometimes doing the work of the church is exhausting. Sometimes being a good parent and a good spouse and a good employee and a good minister in such a conflicted world with so much chaos, so much sadness, and so much pain is draining and it is taxing and it leaves us overwhelmed. It leaves us exhausted. It leaves us tired, especially those of us who live in exile. This past year has felt much like exile. We've been relegated to looking at the four walls of our home. We've had to grieve over Zoom. We have continuously watched as our people are killed for sleeping in their apartment and jogging in their neighborhood or simply walking out of the supermarket. And those who kill them face little to no impunity. And after the trauma of this past year, all of us know what it is to live with pain that we can't change, but feeling like we have to keep moving, keep working, and keep going anyway. This Korahite was facilitating other people's experience with God when she felt disconnected from God herself. And so in this place, the psalmist must ask the question, when shall I find relief in God's presence? This question can be read two ways. Some would offer that it is an indictment on God. It is a terrible thing to feel like one is doing so much for God, yet finds no real relief in God. This has been the reality for many people this year, as we've been stripped out of our buildings and pulled away from our regular routines of worship and gathering. For Black people, I'm always reminded, church has not only been uh, uh, where we learn about God, but it is also where we find relief from the realities of this world. People who encounter hell Monday through Friday are able to come into the house of God and get a little glimpse of heaven. Yet because she wonders, when will I find relief? It tells me that the psalmist has enough sense to know that relief is available. The psalmist says not if, but when. The psalmist has sense enough to know that relief is at hand. The psalmist has sense enough to know that relief can come to her, but she must ask herself, when will I find it? Not just when will it find me. But when will I come and see the face of God? The psalmist recognizes that they play a role in their own spiritual recovery. It's not just the responsibility of God, but some of the weight also belongs to them. 
So now that recovery is her responsibility, she must first wonder how she got here in the first place. What has drained her and depleted her? What has left her feeling thirsty? What has left her feeling empty? What has happened in her experience? The things that I think we should consider as a source of her spiritual depletion are found in verse 3. The psalmist says that my tears have become my food day and night. The stress of exile and the pain of what is happening to her community has her so obsessed with her pain that she is neglecting the care of her own body. Her pain has become her utter and absolute focus. Can you imagine getting to the place where your pain is so overwhelming that you don't even have the appetite to eat? We've been there. You've become so obsessed with stress that you've forgotten what it means to take care of yourself. You have become so concerned with your problems and with your pain and with your issues that you are neglecting your own self-care. And this is often the case for so many of us in the world we live in today. It is easy to live off a diet of bad news. All across the news, we're seeing the trappings of white nationalism and white supremacy taking center stage. If that is not enough each day we look to hear how many lives have been lost and how many families now grieve as this virus continues to rage on. If that is not enough, we have to hear about how the vaccine distribution has been all but a bust because of this administration. And the reason why we live off a, off a diet of bad news is because we're coming off of the heels of a president and an administration who has constantly consumed themselves with spreading fake news about a perfectly legal election. And if we let it get to us, it will completely consume our energy. It's all we can think about. It's all we want to talk about. When so much grief and pain and death is happening around us, it can tend to make its way within us. But beloved, you can't make it in this life off a diet of bad news. You can't make it in this life off a diet of tears. You can't make it in this life only focusing on your problems and thinking about your pain. You must learn how to see the beauty in life, even in the midst of the struggle. You must learn how to love yourself and honor yourself and take care of yourself in the midst of the most stressful situations. Even when life is hard, you still have to learn how to find some joy. Joy is not recommended, but joy is an absolute necessity, especially for people who are always surviving hard times. And I want you to remember that joy has kept us alive through many dark days before. I'm reminded of the Alice Walker novel, Possessing the Secret of Joy. In this novel, the main character, Tashi, is trying to figure out why Black people, who have good reason to be the most angry in society, are actually the most carefree. Tashi does not understand why Black people are so happy in a world that has treated them so wrong. And finally, Tashi comes to the conclusion that we are so carefree because we possess the secret of joy, which is resistance. I know I don't have to preach this to you because many of you are, are the essence of black joy. So I'm just confirming this with you. Remember that joy is the reason that we're able to stay alive in a world that has never wanted to keep us alive. Joy is the reason we're able to get up in the morning, even when 
they tried to kill us last night. And this world and this society and this nation has taken many things from us. They've tried to take our identities and strip us of our names and rob us of our land. But the one thing they could not steal was our joy. We were able to find relief in God's presence because we found strategic ways to make room for our own joy. Oh, beloved, don't negate your tears, but don't neglect your joy because the joy of the Lord is still your strength. But the second source of her spiritual depletion has to do with the community around her. She says, people say to me, where is your God? But they don't just say, where is your God? But they say it continually over and over again. They keep questioning whether or not God is present and whether or not God is with me because of my present circumstance. Over and over they say, where is your God now? Because of the trouble and because of the pain that constantly surrounds us, they are trying to convince me to doubt the presence of God at work. And I don't put fault or blame on these people for doubting God. I've wrestled with this text a lot this week, and I've wrestled with God before in my life and wondered if the presence of God was truly with me at plenty of points in my life. This is a normal and healthy part of spiritual growth and vitality because oftentimes on the other side of that doubt, there's a deeper faith that's waiting to be awakened. Oftentimes on the other side of that doubt, there's an evolution in your relationship with God and people that God is just waiting for you to tap into. So I'm not here to demonize doubt today. But what I am saying is that when we are spiritually exhausted, we must realize sometimes when other people's doubt other people's pain and other people's insecurities are not ours to carry. Sometimes we become exhausted because we entertain other people's stuff. We're so wrapped up in their negativity, so wrapped up in their pessimism, and we don't even realize how their negativity is destroying our spiritual vitality. But you have to use your God-given discernment to realize that everyone who desires your attention doesn't deserve your attention. Every conversation that is claiming your time is not deserving of your time. And sometimes people who even mean well and really want the best for you can still give into their pessimism about what is going on around you. And when you're going through a rough time, when you're dealing with spiritual exhaustion, when you're overwhelmed and feeling stress, you don't need people who will add to your doubt, but you need people who will help to re-energize your faith. You need people who will encourage you and lift you up. You need people who can see God at work within you and who can remind you of your capacity to thrive. You need people in your life who will not bring you doubt, but will offer you hope entertaining your doubters will destroy your spiritual well-being entertaining negative people will deplete your vitality and so the psalmist doesn't just tell us about the state of their depletion but she offers us some signs for her recovery in verse four and five while she's pouring out her soul to God and addressing her pain before God, she remembers the joy she once felt in worship. The psalmist says, with a broken heart, I remember times before when I made my way to God's abode. The psalmist declares that even when I have a broken heart, I do not have a broken memory. 
She remembers the way her people worshiped in the temple before they went into exile. She remembers the excitement and the vitality that she used to feel before she was pushed away from the temple and learned the harsh realities of exile and oppression. She uses her memory to sustain her in hard times. In those moments when you feel tired and when you feel exhausted and when you feel overwhelmed, you got to use your memory to engage yourself spiritually. You got to remember that I didn't always feel this way. I didn't always have this weight. I didn't always feel this overwhelmed. And as you engage your memory, you remind yourself that the way things are now is not the way things have to be for me. You remind yourself that things can get better. The psalmist is not the only one who has to engage his memory. Remember the saddest book in the Old Testament, the book of Lamentations, as the prophet reflects on the oppression of his people, as he seeks to find a way to process his own pain, as he seeks to find a way with to grapple with the reality of feeling neglected by God, he goes on and on about his grief, and he goes on and on about his pain. But then in chapter three, the prophet says, yes, I remember my grief. Yes, I remember my pain. Yes, my soul is bowed down within me, but the pain is not the only thing I remember. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness never ceases. God's compassion never fails. Morning by morning, God mercies are new. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have hope. When you're spiritually depleted, there are some things you got to recall to your mind. God, I remember how you made a way. God, I remember how you kept my family. God, I remember how you restored my soul. God, I remember how you opened doors that people closed. And because I remember how you did it then, I have hope that you can do it again. Again, ask yourself how you can engage in sacred memory. But not only does the psalmist recall to her mind uh, the memories of worship in the past, but she also has to ask herself some questions in the present. We see in verse five how the psalmist begins to speak to her own soul. She says, why are you cast down, stove? Why are you disquieted within me? Why are you not at peace? In other words, I ask myself, why are you upset? Why are you discontent? Why are you not happy? And I used to read this as almost sarcasm or as almost her berating her own soul. But now I see that this could also be reflection. The psalmist does not just ask God to take away her unhappiness, but she begins to do some serious reflection within herself. That's why moments like right now are so important for our spiritual health. Because when you take rest, self-care, and quiet time with God seriously, you will begin to ask yourself the questions that you've been running from. Yes, I want you to have a little talk with Jesus. Yes, I want you to tell Jesus all about your troubles, but sometimes you also got to have a little talk with you. You got to ask yourself, why am I so drained? Why am I so tired? Why am I so stressed? Why am I so overwhelmed? You got to do some real self-reflection and self-discovery because sometimes you can be waiting on God to change something and that God has given you the power to shift. And in life sometimes, 
We spent our whole existence tending to everybody else's needs, making sure your kids are okay, making sure your family is okay, making sure your coworkers are okay, making sure your church family is okay. And you never check in with yourself and make sure you are okay. But we must realize that nobody else is going to care about our well-being until we begin to care about it ourselves. I encourage us today that with the time we have left, let's ask ourselves the hard questions and be willing to give honest answers. Let's own up to the truth about who we are and where we are. We must ask ourselves, why am I not happy? Why am I upset? You can't wait on anybody else to ask you these questions. You can't wait on anybody else to see your issues and your pain and your struggle, but you have to find the courage and the strength to be honest about your own discontent. Let's engage in courageous conversation with our own soul because it is only when we tell the truth about why we are the way we are that we can move into a healing space. And after the psalmist questions her soul, she finds the energy to shift her emotions. It's not until she can be real with herself and reflect within herself that she can redirect her emotional energy so that instead of focusing on her pain, instead of being overwhelmed by her tears, instead of only remembering her sorrow and her anger, now the psalmist is able to shift her perspective to her hope. And so many times we rush to the praise, but you can't get to the praise until you can be honest about the pain. But after you pour out your soul, you can work to gain some inner peace. The psalmist realized that she couldn't control everything that was going on in her world and the world of her people. She couldn't control the issues that were coming at her. She couldn't solve all of the problems that everybody brought to her. So once she realizes what she cannot do, she focuses on what she can do. I can't change everything, but I can keep my hope in God and I can believe that I will praise God again. Now, many people read this as a choosing to praise God despite her depletion. Many commentators argue that this phrase for I shall yet praise God is her assertion that despite her current circumstances, she still chooses to give God praise. But this is the context of exile from one who has just used the art of sacred memory. Her place of worship has been destroyed and stripped from her community. And right here in this text, she uses the very tactile memories of the temple and the sanctuary to move her into a place of hope yet again. So I'm wondering if this text can be read as a decision to praise God in the now, but if it also can be read as the hope that she will one day get to enter into the temple again in the future. I wonder if this statement, I will praise God again, is the psalmist acknowledging that exile will not last forever. The psalmist realizing is that there will be a time where her people will be able to gather and worship God in the sanctuary again. There will be a time where her people will be free again. She realizes that the isolation she feels right now is not the isolation she will feel always. She believes that despite how hard today is, there is always the hope for a better tomorrow. I believe that she doesn't force praise. She doesn't push herself to a place that 
that she's not ready to go into yet. She says, I may not be able to do it right now. I may not be able to be in the place that I hold so close and so dear. I may not feel great about my connection with God today. I may not be able to lift my hands right now, but I have the hope and the belief that we will praise God again. She cannot change her situation, but she chooses to restore her hope. She chooses to hope in God again, knowing that God is her help. And if you're in this place today and you found yourself exhausted from the cares of life, if you found yourself overwhelmed with the responsibilities and the realities of life, if you found yourself wondering what is happening and what is really going on and why hasn't God come through like God said God would, if you're tired of church and tired of people and tired of being tired sometimes, I hope that you come to a place where you at least believe that you will give God praise again, even if it's not right now, even if it's not tomorrow, even if it's not next week, I believe that you will be able to praise God again. And I know this is not for all of us. Some of us always got praise on our lips. Some of us are so spiritual and so deep and so saved that we can't even process what I'm saying right now. But maybe there are some of us who the realities of this past year or any other year has shaken our faith to the core. Some of us have had to fight to get out of bed in the morning and fight to go to sleep at night and struggle to stay grounded. Some of us have struggled with staying connected in worship when we have to look at screens and we don't get to engage people and we can't sing on the choir. And some of us are making sense of the fact that if people had chosen to wear a mask and socially distance, we wouldn't have to bury our loved ones and we wouldn't have to spend holidays alone. And after wrestling with all of that, it would be spiritual abuse. For for me to ask you to lift your hands when you haven't processed the heaviness of your heart. But I will say it, even if you can't praise right now, I believe that you can hope right now. I'm reminded of that famous quote that says you can live 40 days without food. You can live about three days without water. You can live about eight minutes without air, but you can't survive one second without hope. Hope will keep you. Hope will sustain you. Hope will encourage you. Hope will uphold you. You might lose your job. You might lose your partner. You might lose your friends. Some days you might feel like you're losing your mind, but don't lose your hope. Hope in God and believe that you will praise God again. When you can't offer God your praise, offer God your hope. God, my hope is in you. Even when today is hard, I believe that you are the God who will grant us a brighter tomorrow. My my hope is in you, so I believe that I will praise you again. My hope is in you, so I believe that I will find joy again. My hope is in you, so I believe that there is life after this pain. My hope is in you, so I believe that we will worship together again. Even when I'm surrounded by trouble, I remember that I serve the God who can surround the trouble. Hope in God, for I will yet praise him again. He is or she is my help. Amen, amen, and I shake.